the reading this morning is from the New Testament. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three, there are three that testify the spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Anyone who believes in the son of God has the testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. This is the word of the Lord. Since this is the baptism, we're all about families, aren't we? I thought I'd show you a picture of my family. That uh, little boy down the bottom is me, taken a few years ago, you understand. And you notice that my mother's got the grip of steel on me to make me stand still for the photograph. You'll also notice that beside me is my sister. She's the sweet-looking one, always was, always is. And when we were young, we used to play together quite a lot. And because she's that number of years older than me, I used to trust her quite a lot. Well, mostly anyway. There was one day, soon after this photograph was taken, apparently, where she convinced me we should hold hands, like that, and spin round very fast. She said, don't worry, I won't let you go. Because you know what's coming? She did let me go. I flew backwards, head, head butted a, a fence post, and there was blood everywhere, apparently. So I don't always trust her quite as much as I did. But isn't this what life is all about? That it's good to have trust or faith in something or someone, but it's not always put in the right place, is it? And that's exactly what uh, John's letter is all about. John was a cousin of Jesus, uh, one of his close followers, so he knew him very well. And he wrote three letters to two churches. It, there was no Instagram and things in those days. So if you wanted to talk to the churches, you had to write them a letter and pass it around. And he wrote three letters to the churches. And we've been dealing with the first one on and off through the last few weeks. And we're coming towards the end of it now. And the message of this book is, or this part of the book, is to put our faith in the right place. And that right place is Jesus. 
Now, in John's time, he had a group of people called the Gnostics, and they had some rather strange views of Jesus, and they were confusing the early church. People in the early church saying, well, do I believe you or do I believe them? And it, 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 it was difficult. And we have the same now, really, in, say, in the Church of England. There's lots of, 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 of issues in the Church of England about people not agreeing with each other. But it's just like everyday life as well, isn't it? You know, we, we don't agree with each other, and sometimes we can get a bit confused. We think, well, should I believe this or should I believe that? Or am I wrong to believe in whatever it is? Or others seem so certain of what they believe, am I wrong? So who can we actually trust? Where do we put our trust? Because we need help in all this, don't we? Now, even though John's letter was written 2,000 years ago, it applies just as much now as it did then. That just like the John's early church, we should put our trust in Jesus. Now, as is normal in, traditionally in good sermons, there are three parts of this sermon. The first is we'll have a look at what signs, uh, or the signs that faith in Jesus is real. How do we know that our faith in Jesus is real? Oh, and the second part is, well, why should we believe in Jesus in the first place? What evidence is there? And then if that's not enough, at the end, John very kindly puts in some extra assurances at the end of the, the, what, we, what, what he's saying is actually true. So when you, get to, when you see the sign, the, the, the words extra assurance on the screen, you know I'm coming towards the end, okay? Right. We'll start at the beginning. Signs that faith in Jesus is real. This part of the book starts off by saying that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is born of God. Now, born of God is like being born of parents. You know, you've all been born of parents. So if you are born of God, that means you've become part of God's family. You, know, you can call him father. And it goes on to say after that, and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. And his child is Jesus. But it goes beyond that. What it really means is, if we love the Father, we love, love all of our spiritual brothers and sisters. That's easy enough, isn't it? Yeah. This is a picture of our grandson when he was just a few days old. Now, can you imagine me going up to my son and daughter-in-law, putting my arms around him and saying, Do you know, I really love you two. I'm so glad you're part of my family. But your baby, uh, I don't like your baby. Uh, no, take him away. Don't like him. Now, that's inconceivable, isn't it? You don't, that doesn't work in that, it, like that with small babies, does it? You know, if you love the parents, you're going to love the baby. Well, so it's also true in the church that not loving each other as we love ourselves or our children or our grandchildren should be impossible. Now, just look around. Bit of a tall order, isn't it, really? Not because you don't like each other, but how can you possibly love other people as much as you love yourself or your, your cute grandchildren? It's very difficult, isn't it? And John makes it worse. He says in verse 3, this is, for, this is love for God to obey his commands. So we're actually called by God to love other people. It's a command of God. And it says just before this in verse 2, this is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So God's love is a command, sorry, God's command is that we love each other. So it's not just something we ought to be doing, he tells us we must be doing it, we must love each other. And in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' own words 
um, uh, reinforce this. At this time, he was be, uh, met by a bunch of people who were trying to trick him. And they said to him, which one of the Ten Commandments is the greatest of the commandments? Because whatever he said, it was going to be wrong. So what he said was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And really, that's summarising the first four of the commandments. And then he summarised the next commandment, next six commandments, by saying, love your neighbour as yourself. So it's getting worse. We haven't just got to love people inside the church, we've got to love the people we meet in every day. So that's pretty difficult. It's getting worse, isn't it? Eh? How can we possibly love all these people? Well, John does provide some help in this. In verse 3, it says, His commands, I God's commands, are not burdensome. For everyone born of God, who has faith in God, overcomes the world. We can overcome the problems like loving other people by being, by being part of God. And it's not going to be that difficult. It's not going to be burdensome. Jesus' own words in Matthew says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You know, the yoke was the thing you carried across your back, put buckets on, that sort of thing. So take my yoke upon you, my, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what this really means is that it's difficult to obey God's commands. How can we possibly love everybody around us? And yet, as we walk with Jesus, it becomes genuinely easy to care for people, care for each other. It gets easier. I've been a Christian for 40 odd years. I can remember what it was like before I was a Christian. I'm not that old. Well, I'm fairly old, I suppose. So, and I, I can th remember how I thought about people, other people in, around me, when I, before I was a Christian and afterwards. Now, I'm not perfect by any means, but I can see that things have changed in my life. I do find it easier to like other people, to care for them. And it's not my doing, this is the d doing of Jesus. So how do we know our faith in God is re uh, real? Because we find ourselves caring for each other more and more. And this brings us to sort of a, a knotty issue. How do we generally love those who hold different views? You know, in the Church of England at the moment, there are all sorts of issues about things like gay marriage. You know, should we allow gay marriage in the church or should we not? There's people at both ends of, the, of, of that argument. How do you actually love people who don't agree with what your stance is? Well, let's make it a bit, le bit less personal. This is a Baptist church in Massachusetts in the eastern USA. You might recognise down the bottom left-hand side, there's Judy, who's leading the service, my lovely wife. Uh, we've lived in the States a couple of times, and when we've lived there, this has been our home church. Now, at one point while we were there, somebody said, what would you do as a church if a lesbian couple turned up at the door and said they wanted to be members of the church. Some of the people said, we, we wouldn't let them in. We can't let them you know, taint, taint this church. Other people said, of course we'd let them in. Every, God loves everybody. We would let them in. Other people said, of course we'd let them in. But we'd let them know that maybe this is not how God wants them to live. But the most important thing in that argument that was going on is there was a chap there who was a retired colonel in the US Army and he was really good at getting beside people. He wouldn't tell them what to believe. He would get beside them and he'd listen. He'd listen to what they had to say. 
And he would comment, and he'd give them sort of nuggets of wisdom, but he wouldn't try and browbeat them in what they should believe. He was there beside them. He was caring for them. He was loving them. And that's as we should be doing it in this church, isn't it? In the Church of England. So how, does, how do people know as, uh, that we are Christians? And they know we're Christians by how we show love for each other and how we treat those with different views. So, why should we believe in the first place? Now, I've got the name of this film wrong. This is, I was told this morning, this is not The Last Crusade, this is, oh, it is The Last Crusade, yeah. Indiana Last Crusade? I did get it right. Somebody told me I got it wrong. Anyway, never mind. Have you ever seen this film? Apparently it was on television last night. You know that at this point, Indiana Jones has to step out across this chasm in order to, to uh, you know, do the next good thing. And there, he knows there's a bridge there because he's read about it in his little book, but he can't see the bridge. So he has to screw up his courage and force himself to believe. You know, in the film, he stands there and he puts his foot out. I can't do it without falling over. He puts his foot out and he, he makes a step forward in blind faith. So is that what Christian faith is like? Do we have to screw up our courage? Do we have to believe all sorts of silly things and just make ourselves believe? Well, fortunately, no, we don't. Because biblical faith is based on reason. And John gives three reasons why we should believe in Jesus. One of them is water and one of them is blood. And the water refers to Jesus' baptism. He was baptised at the beginning of his ministry. And blood refers to his death and resurrection at the other end of his ministry on earth. And if you look at it, these are dis public displays of who Jesus is, recorded in the Bible. And we can see for ourselves what Jesus is on about. We haven't just got to believe what other people say. We can go to the Bible and we can read about him. We know exactly what's going on. And it works. At the crucifixion of Jesus, there was a centurion there. Now, a centurion, he would be a, a real hardened soldier. He's seen it all before. And as you see Jesus on the cross, he actually says, surely, or he said, surely he was the Son of God. He was convinced by the evidence he could see. And we can read about that in the Bible. The other piece of evidence is the Holy Spirit. John mentions the fact that the Holy Spirit will speak to us about Jesus. You might say to yourself, well, why would you believe the Holy Spirit? Well, we believe people all the time, don't we? If I said to one of you, how do I get to the Gresley Arms? You'd tell me, and I'd go, wouldn't I? I wouldn't have cause to disbelieve you. Or if I said to you, what time is it? You'd tell me, and I'd believe you, wouldn't you? Wouldn't I? Well, in verse 9, John says, we accept men's testimony. We believe what people tell us. But God's testimony is greater because it's a testimony of God. And God being God, he can't lie. I mean, if I went up to someone who was selling muffins that were called walnut muffins, and I said, are there nuts in that? And he said, no, stow me, governor. Of course there's no nuts in there. Just give us your money, go away. I mean, I might not believe him, mightn't I? Because people can lie. But God cannot lie. God is God. And because of that... John says, and this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So if we believe in Jesus, we have life, and we can spend, the, we can spend eternity with Jesus and with God. 
So there it is. It's all laid out in front of us. We can believe in Jesus because we can look at his life recorded in the Bible. And the Spirit tells us much more about what Jesus and the Father are like. But if that's not enough, John gives us extra assurance. He points out in verse 14 that God hears our prayers. He listens to us. Now this is a, a picture I stole off the web. Here's uh, young King Charles, and he's standing there by the piano. Of course, behind the piano is his mother. And his mother, the former queen, would have had the ear of all the most important leaders in the world. And yet he also had her ear. He called her mummy, and he could talk to her directly. And the same is true with God. Here we've got a God that flung the stars into space, that made everything that we see around us. And yet, despite the fact that he's such an important, majestic God, we have his ear. It says in the Bible that we can call him Abba, which literally means Daddy. We can talk to him wherever we, whenever we want to. And also, in verse 15, he will deliver. When we ask for things in prayer, he will deliver. And he never gets tired of hearing from us. You know, if you've had young children, it gets to four in the morning, and you're thinking, oh, please, don't cry again. I just, I, I don't want to know. Just stop crying. Well, God's never like that. He never gets tired of hearing from us. He's always wanting to listen to us. And he will give us what we pray for. Well, but bear in mind that he is a good parent. He gives us what's good for us. This is probably why I've never owned a red Ferrari. Because God knows that if I had a red Ferrari, I'd, I'd be showing it off, I'd be boastful, I'd, I'd probably crash it in the first ten minutes. He knows it wouldn't be good for me, so I've never had a red Ferrari. In fact, Tim Keller, who's written a lot of Christian books, said, God will either give us what we ask for, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. If we knew what the will of God was, what he wants for us in our lives, we'd know to, be to ask the right things. Of course, we don't always know his will, so sometimes we ask for wrong things, and we don't always get them, of course. But God is a good parent. He always gives us what we actually need. And also, in verse 16 and 17, John points out that Jesus helps us to do what is right. And in particular, what is right is to pray for each other. God wants us to pray for each other because that's a way of helping each other. And we know, and this is, this is uh, John's emphasis, we know that Jesus is protecting us in verse 18. He's looking after us. In Ephesians 6 it says, we, we put on the shield of faith protects us from the flaming arrows of the evil one. So our faith protects us from the devil. Jesus protects us right through our whole life. And we know that we're the children of God. We know this, it's a fact. You know, if we accept Jesus into our lives, we are a member of God's family. We are actually, can call him Daddy. And we know that Jesus helps us understand all these things. So this is a, a, a painting of Jesus by El Greco, quite an old painting now. I really quite like this one. When you look at Jesus, there is no nasty side to him whatsoever. Now, people are not always so good, but Jesus has no nasty side. He is pure love. And he's kinder than we can imagine. He loves us more than we can imagine, more than we can ever imagine. And he's close to us. 
Think about the person in life you're closest to, the probably things they don't know about you, little inner thoughts you have that you don't want them to know, that you never tell them. Well, Jesus is closer than that. He knows everything that goes on in our mind, all the little things we don't want other people to know. And yet he still loves us more than anything. And he is always with us. He says in Matthew, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What's there not to like, eh? Now, right at the very end of this, this, this chapter, the last verse, it says, oh, don't worship idols. It's almost like John's got to the end of the book, the, oh, I forgot to mention idols again, and I'll just put it on the last verse, so, you know, do not worship idols. It sounds like a PS, and yet it's not. It, it's very relevant to what we've just been saying. I mean, back in John's time, idols would have been sort of carved stone or carved wood or things like that. But we have lots of idols these days. I mean, maybe for me, a red Ferrari is an idol. It's, it's what we consider most important in life. Okay? So think what you, about your, your own life. What's most important to you? Well, bear in mind that an idol won't listen to our prayers and act on them. An idol won't uh, give us security. It won't make you more loving, and it won't love you back. And it won't give you confidence after death. Only Jesus can actually do these things. So if you're a Christian, and you're look, looking at this, then I ask you to stand firm in your faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Whatever's going on in the Church of England, keep your eyes on Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, well, Jesus has so much to offer. Now, before I became a Christian, I always thought of Christians as being sour people who always spent their time telling you not, what not to do. Well, Christianity is not about that. It's about this person here. It's about this loving, kind man, this loving, kind son of God. So if you want to know more or have any questions, then ask one of us afterwards. And if that's not convenient, well, we're here every Sunday, so do come and see us. Do come and ask questions. Amen.